It's October. For baseball fans, it's one of the most wonderful times of the year. Playoff baseball has begun. We are on the road to the Fall Classic. Welcome to In the Bullpen with Mark Dewey, sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. You're listening to the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! It's only been a week, as is usually the case since the last episode. But so much has happened in those seven days. The Major League Baseball regular season ended on Wednesday. The Fight Laugh Feast Conference, the third annual Fight Laugh Feast Conference, began on Thursday and ran through Saturday. And it was a great conference. And if my voice goes, it is due in part to all of the singing that we did at that conference. And then on Friday, the Wild Card Series began, and they are all completed. Three of the four Wild Card Series lasted only two games. And the home team won only one of those four series. That home team that did win the series was the Cleveland Guardians. They beat Tampa two games to nothing. Winning game two in 15 innings by the score of one to nothing. Winning on a walk-off home run by Oscar Gonzalez. Seattle went into Toronto and faced the Blue Jays, beat them back-to-back games with an epic comeback win in game two. They were down 8-1 to in that game and ended up winning 10-9. to In St. Louis, the Phillies beat the Cardinals. And that's obviously a big story for the Phillies organization and its fans. But I think the loss of the Cardinals is a bigger story for the Cardinals organization and their fans because we know that Yadier Molina and Albert Pujols are done. Their careers are over. Their Hall of Fame careers are over. Now, some will debate whether Yadier belongs in the Hall or not. I believe he does. Nobody who's a baseball fan We'll debate about Albert Pujols. Something that that Cardinal fans and baseball fans do not know at this point in time is whether it is also the end of the career for Adam Wainwright. From what I've read, it appears maybe he's made the decision, but as of Monday morning, he hasn't announced it yet. There's only one of the four series that went to three games. That was the series between the Padres and the Mets in New York. And that series ended last night. Here's the pitch to Marte. Swung on, granted, slowly to third. Manny charges his. Now plays the hop. Throw to first is in time. And the Padres have not only captured the moment, they have captured the wild card series. And it's on to Los Angeles for game one of the NLDS Tuesday night at Dodger Stadium. There will be playoff baseball at Petco Park in 2022. So the Padres go into New York, win game one. Mets take game two. Padres game three and again as you heard they will advance and they will play the Los Angeles Dodgers now Josh Hader was on the mound to finish that off for the Padres it wasn't a safe situation because it was a six nothing game but he was on the mound of course he was traded from the Brewers to the Padres just prior to the trade deadline I was listening to that game last night listening to the Mets radio broadcast and they were discussing something that I thought was very intriguing and very important Joe Musgrove started that game for the Padres. 
and he has had a history statistically of not doing well when he gets to the third time through the lineup. So the numbers would indicate basically after the fifth, maybe into the sixth, the Padres ought to get him out of there. But they were also talking about the fact that the Mets manager, Buck Showalter, has said that the the game of baseball has a heartbeat about it. And they were saying there's a heartbeat about this. Bob Melvin, the manager for the Padres, didn't have anybody warming up in the bullpen at the time in which all of the numbers would say, you got to do so. Instead, he had a sense of the heartbeat. He could see what was going on with Joe Musgrove. Even though the numbers would suggest you got to get him out, he didn't. And Musgrove went seven innings, giving up just one hit and one walk. I believe there's also another aspect of the heartbeat of the game that was evidenced in that game, or at least indirectly. As I mentioned, Josh Hader finished it off. He was traded from the Brewers to the Padres. And when he first got to the Padres, he struggled mightily. He finished very, very strong. Typical Josh Hader fashion. I believe his struggles were fundamentally about the heartbeat of the game. And I also believe that the Brewers struggling and not making the postseason was also an aspect of the heartbeat of the game. Because not only did they lose a great closer, maybe the best in the game in Josh Hader, it's, it's just more than that. It's, it's something bigger than that. It's about the heartbeat. And I believe that's what happened with the Brewers. Now, here's what we're looking at as we look at the playoff picture moving forward, at least for the next week. All four league division series begin tomorrow. They are best of five series. The American League, if they go five games, will begin tomorrow and conclude a week from today, Monday, October 17th. The National League, again, beginning tomorrow, if any series, any of the two series, go five games, they will conclude on Sunday. Here is the schedule for tomorrow. Philadelphia is at Atlanta. That game is at 107 Eastern. Seattle at Houston, 337. Cleveland at New York, that game will start at 737. And there's a bit of a story underlying this story. Aroldis Chapman, who has really struggled pretty much all season on the mound, if you remember, had to go onto the IL because he got a tattoo in season that got infected. Well, on Friday, he missed a mandatory workout at Yankee Stadium. The Yankees wrapped up their season on Wednesday. They were able to go wherever they wanted, most probably went home for Thursday, but they were told you have to be in New York for a workout on Friday. Chapman did not show up. And because he didn't, he is being disciplined by the Yankees, and I believe very rightly so. He is not on the ALDS roster for the Yankees. I think the Yankees are handling this very well. I think he deserves to be disciplined. But here's something I've been seeing in the last couple of days that I wonder about, that I question, that I caution against. I've seen sports reporters, in particular baseball reporters, talking about Chapman and rightfully saying this is wrong, but speaking about him as if he is the scum of society. Maybe he is. I don't know. But as I've said many times, and I think on this podcast even, all content has context. What we see or hear, the content of a person's words or actions, take place in a context. And a lot of times, we don't know the context. I surely don't know the context of Araldus Chapman. But there may be some things going on that we find out about later when, when we say, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said those kind of things about Chapman. So that brings us up to speed, if you will, on the postseason. But I want to go back because, again, since the last episode, the regular season ended. 
It ended on Wednesday. And Wednesday, we found out by the end of the day that there were four teams with 100 or more wins and four teams with 100 or more losses. The Dodgers won 111 games. Houston, 106, and both Atlanta and the Mets, 101. The Washington Nationals lost 107 games. Oakland lost 102 games, and both Pittsburgh and Cincinnati lost 100 games. But going into that day, all the playoff situation was settled. Not only the teams in the playoffs, but the seeding for the playoffs. So it was a bit of a anticlimactic ending to the regular season. But some things happened on that final day. Mike Trout hit his 40th home run, and he missed a substantial number of games, and so that's quite an accomplishment. Shohei Otani made his final start, and in doing so, and again having another great start on the mound, he qualified for league leaders both as a pitcher and as a hitter. But for me, the best story of that final day of the regular season on Wednesday happened in Oakland, happened in a place where not a lot of good things happened in the 2022 baseball season. Wednesday was Stephen Vogt's final game as a Major League Baseball player. And as he walked to the plate for his first at-bat in that game, here is what he and the fans there in Oakland heard. Ready? Now batting. Now batting! Our dad! Number 21! So his three children, they look to be maybe five to ten years of age, announced their dad coming to the plate. That's the kind of thing that somebody says, it doesn't get much better than that. It's that kind of story. But it did get better, or at least that story was added to, because that was his first at-bat, but in his final at-bat in that game, in his final at-bat of his Major League Baseball career, this happened. Crazy thought. Oh, drives one. Right field. Did he do it? He did. Are you kidding me? How about that? And as Vote ran around the bases, the joy he exuded was joy for me to watch. And here's an interesting story or part of the story. His first at-bat ever in Major League Baseball was a home run. His last at-bat ever in Major League Baseball was a home run. And here's another addition to the story of Stephen Vogt. It was either that day, Wednesday, or the day before Tuesday. Again, he is either less than 24 hours away from ending his career or slightly more than 24 hours away. I saw a video of him doing blocking drills in the bullpen in pregame work. That is what it's really all about. That is somebody that goes about things the right way. So as I mentioned, Wednesday a bit anticlimactic. Tuesday, however, had some very substantial happenings. Justin Verlander got his last regular season start for the Astros and in doing so pitched five no-hit innings, striking out 10. On the season, he ended up with an 18-4 record and a 1.75 ERA. I believe he has got to be the AL Cy Young Award winner. He is the second oldest player ever to finish a season with an ERA below 1.80. The oldest was Cy Young in 1908 at 41 years of age. Verlander did it this year at 39. 
Also on Tuesday, the Atlanta Braves clinched the National League East title, the fifth straight time they have done so. And if you go back to June 1st, when they were, I think it was 10 and a half games behind the Mets, their record from June 1st on was 78 and 33. That's a 700 winning percentage. If they played that through the course of a full season, that would be 114 wins on the year. And remember, the Dodgers this year, winning 111, were only the third team in National League history with 110 or more wins, and the first since 1909. That's the pace that the Braves played on since June 1st. I read something on social media after the Braves did so. It was like something like this. Baseball is easy. You play 162 games, and the Braves win the NL East. Well, for the last five years, that has been true. Something, something else the Braves have going for them that I'm guessing you don't know about. They have a young man, 10 years old, Hudson Burns, who has a Braves kid cast on YouTube. You need to check it out. It's wonderful. So those were some news events, very noteworthy news events from Tuesday, the second to last day of the regular season. But of course, the biggest news from Tuesday came out of Texas. Aaron Judge has been stuck at 61 since the Yankees were in Toronto. We'll see what he does in this one. He knows he's running out of real estate. He's running out of time. This is game 161. High fly ball. Deep left. Deep left, it is high, it is far, it is gone! Number 62 to set the new American League record. 122 seasons in American League history, and no man has ever hit more home runs than that man. Aaron Judge with 62. Three Yankee right fielders. The Bay hitting 60 and 27. The Jolly Roger hitting 61 and 61. And now Aaron Judge hits his 62nd home run. This is Judgment Day. So a great way to end his season. He did not play on Wednesday after hitting number 62 on Tuesday. He had a lot of pressure on him throughout, but especially at the end. As a matter of fact, those final three games were played in Texas, and he was being booed not only if he made an out, but if he hit a hard line drive somewhere for a single. But through the whole process, he exhibited joy and humility and respect, and he did so when he hit number 62, when he ran around the bases, and the whole team came out of the dugout to greet him and congratulate him. Now, he fell short of the Triple Crown. I think he ended up at 311 with his batting average, which was uh, quite a bit lower. I think Arise was at 315. But that being said, he had undoubtedly one of the best off off offensive seasons. I'll get through this eventually. One of the best offensive seasons, <laughs> maybe I won't, in Major League Baseball history. No doubt about it. I have to say two things. One, while that is true, Shohei Otani had the best season ever in Major League Baseball history. The second thing, for me, I've heard enough of the, this is the real home run leader because he did it clean. I, I have all sorts of problems with that. Many of it have talked about the fact that once you go there, you're on a slippery slope, and I agree. 
But one of the things that I think is slippery about this slope that I don't hear anybody else talking about is what do we mean by clean? Because I think what everybody's talking about is Aaron Judge has no accusations, there's no evidence, there's no reason to believe that he has used steroids or human growth hormone, what we call performance-enhancing drugs. And I would agree, there is no evidence. And in that sense, you can say he's clean. And some of the other guys, you'd say, well, there's either evidence or strong reason to suspect. I have a problem with the strong reason to suspect, but that's not the point. The idea of doing it clean is the, is the point. Because here is the fact. And I'm not accusing anybody who set home run records of any kind in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, even into the 90s before steroids and human growth hormone became a big deal. But a lot of Major League Baseball players used amphetamines or greenies, or as they used to say, at least in baseball, they got into the jar. That's a fact. And we may want to act as if those aren't performance-enhancing drugs, but they are most definitely performance-enhancing drugs. So Aaron Judge is the all-time leader in the American League for a single season for home runs. Aaron Judge just had one of the best offensive seasons in the history of baseball. But enough of this, he's the real home run leader. I will say this about Aaron Judge, and I think everybody will say this about Aaron Judge. Throughout this all, he has been a class act in everything, in the way he's handled things on the field, in the way he's handled things off the field. And he was a class act when he was asked after that game about the ball, home run number 62, the ball that he had not yet received. Aaron, were you able to get the ball back? Not yet. I don't know where it's at. So, you know, we'll we'll see we'll see what happens with that. It'd be it'd be great to get it back, but you know, it's that's a souvenir for a fan. So, you know, they made a great catch out there, and you know, they got every right to it. So he said that in the post game press conference. Here's another portion of what he said after that game when he hit home run number sixty two. It's it's a big relief. You know, I think everybody can finally sit down in their seats and watch the ball game. You know, it's um, it's been a been a fun ride so far, you know, getting a chance to do this, you know, with the team we got, the guys surrounding me, you know, the constant support, you know, from my family who's been with me there, you know, through this whole thing is, it's, it's been a, it's been a great honor, you know, and also, you know, Roger Maris Jr., you know, him and his family, you know, supporting and being along for the ride too, to meet their family, they're wonderful people and, you know, getting a chance to, you know, have my name next to, you know, someone as great as Roger Maris, Babe Ruth, those guys is incredible. You know, I just try to take it one day at a time and, you know, say a prayer, go out there and just try to play my game. And, you know, I never tried to focus on the number, never tried to focus on going out there and doing it, just go out there and play my game. And, you know, if, if I'm good enough and God willing, it'll, it'll happen. So that's just one example. And there are many of how he has handled this whole thing. His phenomenal success his team-first attitude, and his approach to the game that put team first. The respect he has shown to the game, to his team, to other teams. His humility throughout this whole process. The pressure that he's been under after turning down big money in spring training. His story of being adopted. All of these things and so much more is why he is rightly received with accolades by his teammates, by Major League Baseball as an institution, by the fans by people outside of baseball. It's why he is respected and admired. And many see him as kind of a hero in Major League Baseball. As a matter of fact, 
Jason Whitlock, who was at the Fight Laugh Feast conference, he opened his Fearless show last week, and I don't remember what day it was, but go back and check it out. He had about a five or five and a half minute opening about Aaron Judge, making the argument that he actually should be a bigger story than he has been. But he's been a big story. And I have a question that I've asked myself, and so I'm now going to ask you. I wonder, what would change all of this? What would change the way people perceive and receive Aaron Judge? If he goes out and has a horrendous postseason and the Yankees get eliminated in the division series, would that do it? I don't think so. If he signs a huge contract in the offseason, and he is, he's going to sign a huge contract, and then he struggles, will that do it? Well, first of all, I don't think he will struggle, but even if he did, I don't think that would change the way he is accepted, received, and admired. But what about this? What if people were to go to his Twitter account, and actually many do, I think he's got nearly 500,000 followers, but they were to look a little bit more closely at his bio, the first line of which reads this way, Christian, period, faith, family, then baseball. Could that change people's attitude? Maybe not. Maybe there's a lot of people that would look at that and say, well, I'm assuming he's one of those type of Christians. You know, the one that says, love is never having to say I'm sorry. Love is never saying to anybody else, you're wrong. Love never says anything to anybody else that might offend them. But what if they went beyond that? Another hypothetical situation. The ball, again, has not been returned to Aaron Judge, to my knowledge, as of Monday morning, today, October the 10th. What if he is told prior to tomorrow's game that the ball was sold for $2 million at auction? That's the number they've thrown out there. And then he was told that the money was donated to an LGBTQ plus organization. And Aaron Judge, hearing that, responded with class, which no doubt he would. And he responded with very kind and loving words, something like this. I'm very sorry to hear that. Money going to promote what God declares to be sinful isn't something I'm happy about. I wish the money had been used to promote truth, goodness, and beauty to the glory of King Jesus. What if he said that? Or what if the ball sold at auction and then he is told that the money was donated to Planned Parenthood? And he said something like this. Wow. You do know that my parents, Wayne and Patty Judge, adopted me when I was two days old. And now I'm putting words into Aaron Judge's mouth, but these are actually Aaron Judge's words right here. I feel they kind of picked me, that God was the one that matched us together. Now we'll go back to me putting words in his mouth. And he continued, Every baby in every womb is precious, made in the image of God. And whether that child grows up to be the American League home run record holder or somebody few have ever heard about, maybe even they've heard about for bad reasons, every life Every life which begins at conception should be protected. Abortion is the murder of an unborn child. What if that were to happen? What if he were to say something along those lines? I'm guessing that if he did so, so many, a lot of people who now love to say, all rise, so many who now praise Aaron Judge for accomplishing what he has and being the kind of person he is, would quickly and vehemently turn on him in a New York minute. But if Aaron Judge did say something along those lines, 
and all Major League Baseball and all of its fans turned against him, slandered him. Even if he received death threats for saying such things, he could take comfort in knowing that he is blessed in suffering for Christ's sake. Now, I hope you caught the words, the last words of the clip that I played of his 60-second home run call. I hope those words jumped out at you. This is what they were. This is Judgment Day. Uh, No. But Judgment Day will come. The Judge, King Jesus. The Judge, King Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, will most certainly come again to judge the living and the dead. All people, every single person, will stand before this judge. And as those who know him, who love him, who honor him, and who obey him, because we know that this judgment is certain to happen in the future, we can, in the present, stand for the king. We can stand for what is true, good, and beautiful, according to his word. We can stand with conviction and courage whatever it is that comes our way, knowing that we are blessed when persecuted. We are called to rejoice when persecuted, and our reward in heaven is great. But that's a conversation for another day. Join us next time for In the Bullpen on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Thank you for listening.